Hey guys, this is Andrew from Things I Want to Know. If you like the podcast, please leave a five-star rating. Don't really know why this is important, but it is. So let's get the voice out. Also, don't forget to check out the podcast Paul G's Corner, a podcast where everyone gets a voice. Welcome to Things I Want to Know, where we unravel the mysteries of the unknown and seek answers to questions that have eluded us far too long. Today, we dive into the dark world of chronic pain and search for a cure. Our guest is Dr. Mitchell Yaz, DPT, claims to have uncovered a solution to this debilitating chronic condition that affects millions of people worldwide. But is he truly the expert he claims to be? We will find out. Join us as we explore the depths of the unknown and uncover the truth about chronic pain and discover whether the answers we seek have been found by Dr. Yaz or does their mystery remains unknown. Dr. Yaz, how are you doing today? I am fantastic. Thank you for having me on your podcast. Absolutely. Thank you for being a guest. So we had, I'm just going to default out here and tell you, that intro was written by Chat D or GBT. That intro was written by AI. We did not write that. That's kind of scary. You know how I feel about AI. That was pretty sweet. I thought it was pretty incredible. Ah, I just read it. Give the credit to a robot. <laughs> I, I, I discovered this chatbot, and I was like, oh, my gosh, this is really, really cool. And I just started writing all the intros to all of our programs inside of this chatbot, this AI. And I'm like, this isn't bad. This is, and I, I, might, I might tweak it a little bit a word here or there. Well, I didn't completely read it how they have it. I just kind of just, I'm doing better. Oh, did you paraphrase it? No, no. Cheater. I just changed a couple words just because, I don't know. I do better with just like, just talking You're and not having a script. You're I, cheating. I'm not really cheating. I'm just having fun here. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, doctor, um, now our, get, give us your, just, we always want to pull this out at the beginning. Um, let's go over your credentials. Let's make sure that people who are listening understand who you are and what you do. Okay. So I do have a doctorate in physical therapy, but the method that I employ is something that I developed after my educational background, basically as a result of recognizing that my educational background left me completely inept and incapable of properly establishing the cause of pain. So the method that I utilize is something that I developed myself, but I do, in fact, have a doctorate in physical therapy. That is my credential. Okay. Okay. Nice. So, but you are, uh, what school, did, which school did you go to? I mean, where, where were the, I hate to now disparage that school. <laughs> he said he was an well, I, yeah. Uh, so as you'll see, as we go further into this, uh, my, my preposition is not just physical therapy as a specialty, but the medical establishment as a whole is incapable of proper diagnosing the cause of pain simply because their primary mechanism is the MRI. And that's where my contention lies, is in the use of the MRI uh, to diagnose the cause of pain. But um, I got my bachelor's degree at Downstate Medical Center in Brooklyn, 
and then followed up with a doctorate from New York Institute of Technology in okay. Westbury from New York. Nice. So, um, when and what what is your specialty in chronic pain? Where where do you where where is your focus? My focus is on establishing the proper diagnosis. And by definition, the proper diagnosis must mean identifying the tissue in distress, eliciting the symptoms that are being experienced. And to understand that principle is to understand that if you're having a heart attack, your heart elicits the symptom of pain at the chest and the left arm. You're getting pain at your chest and your left arm because the heart is trying to make you recognize it's in distress. That is the specific symptom associated with that tissue. And so if you can establish what tissue is responsible for the symptom by interpreting the symptom, you could establish what tissues in distress and then provide the appropriate intervention to resolve the distress, thereby ending its need to elicit the emergency signal of pain. So you do not treat pain. You treat tissues. Okay. Okay, that makes sense. So, how would you do this for someone that say has osteoarthritis of the hip or knee or hands? I mean, how do you figure out what tissues in distress? Because there's a lot That's- of stuff in the hands, for example. Well, uh, you had mentioned the hip, if, if you want to kind of just use that one. Let's start with the theoretical paradigm. So let's start with some of the cultural predispositions that have been around for 100 years, which are completely baseless. Does osteoarthritis cause pain? The answer is no, it doesn't cause pain. That's a fallacy. It's been a fallacy from the beginning. Well, the definition of osteoarthritis is pretty much overuse of a joint. So the older you get the more you are kind of using the joint. Because way back in the day, we weren't supposed to li- live past, what, 40? We were considered yeah. old age back yeah. then. And now people are living in their 90s and hundreds. I'm going to live to be 947 years old. <laughs> God bless. No, I don't want to be. Hey, Buzz Aldrin's doing pretty good. If he can do it, I can do it. He's 93 and he's it's married. So today's married. Bu- Today is Buzz Aldrin's birthday, the day we're doing this podcast. And he's turned 92 or 93, I can't remember. Crap. Anyway, but his wife is 60. Wow. That's probably and, what's keeping him around. Uh, well, <laughs> she, you know, was she, for 60, she's not bad. She's very pretty, yes. Yeah. You know, it's like, I'm, you know, I can stick around for that. All right, I can do that. Because, mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, so are you saying, oh my gosh, Paul. <laughs> so are you saying like finding use of the tissue? So how do you find that out? Do you just like press on the person and be like, mm, that hurts? Or do you yes. do some sort of like... You know, tools, you know, I know you're not a big fan of the MRI. You've kind of said that, but um, it's also a very expensive diagnostic procedure. But Well, if you have a metal hip, you're screwed. Pretty much. You know. I mean, <laughs> you're stuck you, to the side of the MRI. Yeah, you can't have that. Um, yeah, you, yeah I've, I've seen wheelchairs get flown in there and it, you have to shut the whole MRI down. It's a hell it's of a, a magnet, man. It's a process to get it shut down. Yeah. And even get it started back what up again. $10 million machines. So what do you do for patients that... It hurts here. I mean, most people don't even know what medication they're on. I mean, they're going to point very Reminds me of that joke, by the way. Have you heard this joke, doctor? Have you? What's that? It's just the guy goes into the doctor. He says, I don't know. Oh, no. I hurt everywhere. It was, what do you mean? Well, like here. And he points and he pokes himself. He says, it hurts right here. And he's like, okay. And then down here, I poke myself and he pokes it. And he's like, it hurts there. I said, I don't understand. He points at his knee, he pokes his knee, he says, it hurts there. 
And the doctor looks at him and says, well, I, I know what's wrong with you. And he's like, what do you mean? You got a broken finger. <laughs> Very good. That's funny. Very good. <laughs> Sorry. That's okay. Reiterate so your just, question, I guess. I just want to kind of go back to Andrew's point that osteoarthritis is due to overuse. It's actually not overuse. Um, so basically what's happening is, is that the position of joints, joints are made up of two joint bones approximating one another. The ability of those two joint surfaces to maintain 100% congruency, meaning that they're in perfect alignment as they were designed to, is based on the strength of the muscles that attach. If you achieve weakness or imbalance of muscle, then you will begin to get misalignment to those joint surfaces. You get lack of congruency. The joint still absorbs 100% of the force is running through the joint, but if 100% of the force is only being absorbed by 80% of the joint surface, that's eventually going to wear the joint surface down. Same as cars. Cars work the exact same way. Right. Your front end, like like your car with your CV joint. Yeah. Right? It's not connected correctly because it's busted. Yeah. Right. So your tires end up giving yeah. the symptom of they 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 wear out faster because it's not where it's supposed to be. It's slightly off. That is correct, and that's what's happening in the body. So it is this um, improper sustaining of strength and balance that's eventually causing misalignment of joint joint surfaces, leading down to wearing down of the hyaline cartilage that sits at the end of the bone, which is supposed to protect it, and eventually you end up with. Um, open bone and either you get excessive bone growth or deterioration of bone. That is the osteoporosis process. And it takes so long that it actually never elicits pain in terms of establishing at a particular area, what the tissue was. Here's the first thing I would say to the person, tell me about what brings on your pain. So is it a constant type of thing? Is it something that comes on when you're doing activity and then stops when you rest? If you're describing that, how can a structural variation, a herniated disc, arthritis, stenosis, a pinched nerve, how could one of these structures be causing pain if the pain is not constant and roughly the same in terms of intensity, right? If it only seems to be agitated or brought on by activity and then at rest, you don't have the symptom, well, what tissue is associated with activity? It's not your kidney, your liver, or your spleen. And it's certainly not a joint, it's muscle. So the first indicator that it's a muscular deficit is what brings it on and what makes it disappear. Then in terms of, so you, Andrew, you were starting to bring up some of the point. The first thing I say to somebody, which was my recognition that it wasn't structural, was point to where your pain is. And so I'll give you a really good ex- example of this. A person comes in and describes pain around their kneecap. They then get an MRI that says they have a meniscal tear, a tear of the meniscus. Mm -hmm. Since the tear of the meniscus is identified for the first time at the time of the pain around the kneecap, it is asserted to be the cause. That is called correlative theory or junk science. It is the equivalent of saying if I open my front door when the sun rises, I could say opening my front door causes the sun to rise. It is a baseless form of scientific um, study. Everyone acknowledges that correlative theory is baseless, and therefore, the use of the MRI based on that tells you that it's baseless. But let's take the – let me just finish this one last thing, and then I'll go. So what you want to understand is that the knee is actually comprised of two joints, the joint between the thigh bone and lower leg bone and the joint between the kneecap and the thigh bone. 
So if someone has a structural variation at one joint and they are told that that structural variation can cause pain at a completely independent joint, that is to say that pain at your elbow can, can be the result of arthritis at the ankle. Is someone going to accept that as fact? Okay, so explain for young people who get meniscal tears. They go in there, they do the little scope, they fix it, they go about their day, and they have no more chronic pain. Explain that. So there's a multitude of reasons for that. So it's this is a common concept that happens. Oh, five people actually got better from this, but the other 95% don't. So how do we explain the five that do? Let's go back to the theoretical basis of the people who have knee pain, 63% were found to have meniscal tears. Of the people who don't have knee pain, 60% are found to have meniscal tears. If meniscal tears cause pain, how do you account for roughly you know, the same amount of people having meniscal tears with pain or without pain? That's the first step. So for me, though, I, I know I have a little bit of an experience with this on the patient side. I had a um, my I ripped whatever's inside my knee. I don't know what it is. And it would lock up. It did not hurt. But it popped constantly. Oh, my joints pop all of them. No, 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 no. This was a different kind of pop. pop? Okay. <clears throat> and I would walk. It got snap, 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 snap. And then if I bent my leg too far, the cartilage from when I, I don't know. I mean, I'm just going by what the guy told me. This is 25 years ago, 30 years ago. The cartilage would flip over and cause it to where I could not extend my knee anymore. Mm -hmm. But it did not hurt until it flipped. Mm-hmm. But it was happening more and more and more because the tear got more and more and more pronounced so that it was it was tearing more and getting bigger. So I was locked. My knee was locking up at less and less of an angle. And I had to go in and remove that. And now I've been sitting on 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 um, scar tissue since because he didn't put mm -hmm. a knee replacement in because he's like, yeah, right. you're 25 years you're old. It's not a big for, deal. Yeah. And it still doesn't hurt. Mm -hmm. It still does not hurt. I don't have any knee pain. It, it goes crack, 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 crack. And when it's when I get in, in an allergic reaction, it might hurt. But that's yeah. just because everything's swelling up and my my wrists hurt and my other knee hurts and my feet hurt. Yeah, I guess you're and, having some sort of allergy reaction. Yeah, I have, I'm allergic to everything. So uh, I do, you know, what he's saying, I don't know if it's, I don't have any idea, but I just know from my experience, yeah, I had a knee that was completely torn in half and it did not hurt until it locked up and I tried to remove, tried to, to extend it. Then it hurt like a son of a bitch. But until then, I, it didn't hurt at all. Hmm. So, right. So, so, so let's look at you, what you're describing. You're describing the fact that your knee locked. Congratulations. That is the primary diagnosis that an active meniscal tear exists. Yeah. Of the people who are told they have a meniscal tear, how many people have locking? None. None. Virtually nobody. I've been doing this for 30 years. I've yeah. treated 15,000 people. He said it was pretty it, it was pretty rare and and then he said it would it would happen over time. Most of the time it was an old injury that would that he had to but he fixed these things in football players right. and basketball players because they're 
tearing their knees up as they go. Well, yeah, it's part so, of so I'm good. I'm I'm a hundred percent on board. You had the symptom of the tissue in distress. You resolved the distress of the tissue. You ended its need to elicit the symptom, which was locking in pain. That's correct. I agree with that. But first off, number one, you could look at the concept as you have 60% of the population have meniscal tears who don't have pain. So how do you account for that? Is there something that could be described as a degenerative meniscal tear versus an acute meniscal tear? You'd have to account for it yeah. somehow. I think my, mine was an acute. Mine was an acute. Correct. That is correct. That is correct. What, is the that right, Andrea? Um, I mean, it's an acute. I mean, it tore. Yeah, it tore. And playing football. Yeah, that's probably more of an acute thing, I would yeah. think. Right. So my but the majority... Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. My question is to you is, though, um, what are you saying? That we basically need to just start finding the area that hurts, strengthen the muscles around it. Once it gets better, then you should have no more pain? What I'm saying is that for 40 years, the population, global population, has been coerced into thinking that every time a structural abnormality has been identified, that is the equivalent of cancer, meaning it's mere identification I get requires what he's saying. an intervention. I get what he's saying. Yeah, I do too. I, I, I get it. it, it what, what, for, for those listening who don't, who don't understand, I, what, what he's saying is it's being overdiagnosed as something terrible when in there they're going to i'm running into this all the time with my with my allergies and my asthma they want to give me medicine for my asthma and they go off the emphysema treatment but i don't have that and they can't diagnose me with emphysema because when they go in and look they can't do it but yet i have symptoms of emphysema but the, the reason i have these symptoms is because of my allergies and I fight them with their doc, with their white papers and stuff, and they don't bother to diagnose me. They're going off the freaking information. But to their defense, oh, I mean, they're they're not wrong. But at the same you're, time, you smoke, and that kind of this was before I smoked. Okay, but that's kind of the standard thing that they're they're going off of based off of their experience of what they see. I mean, I'm not a physician. I don't want anybody to think out there I'm a physician. I just know that there's a lot of things that kind of tend to go together in medicine. I I am a I'm a person that you know me. I'm skeptical about everybody. Oh, this is true. <laughs> I'm not. I, I, I'm skeptical. Period. And skeptical does not mean it. It's not a negative thing. If the skepticism is more of a question everything and uh, rely on your best judgment and and i found many times when i'm in the er and talking to a doctor that they don't, they don't listen one i spent remember that time i spent in medical in uh, uh down in um, baptist memorial before i met you obviously because i was only in my 20s i mean i was in there i told him if you give me a shot of prednisone i'll be fine because it's allergies it's causing me not to breathe and the doctor would not give it to me but you also got to understand that thousands and thousands of patients come in every day to the emergency room and use it as a doctor's office and they're drug seeking. So they tend to have blinders on. Prednisone is drug anything, seeking. Anything, anything, anything. You'd be surprised the stuff people want. Yeah. But I mean, I get that. In their defense, they also have regulations on you know. You but the respiratory send. therapist was in his it. face telling him, "No, I've seen this before," and he wouldn't listen to the respiratory therapist. 
I get it. I don't want to bash physicians on here, specifically for our audience, but they they have certain things that they go by and experience and knowledge. And do they listen to us all the time? No. But as a patient, you need to try to be as proactive and in their face as possible. And most people are not. Yeah. In my experience, in my career, most patients... I've had so many bad experiences in the ER. advocate for themselves. They just trust the physician. So if you're having a tear and you're hurting somewhere and they have you go do stuff and it's not working, then you need to get back in the office and come say, this is not working. This is something else. Most people don't do that. Yeah. And they quit. A lot of, most people don't, don't, if they run, most people, if they run into a failure, there's three of us on here and the three of us, uh, Mitch, Dr. Mitchell, Andrea and Paul, mm-hmm. we don't accept status quo. That I don't, I'm pretty sure Dr. Mitchell wouldn't accept the status quo. Um, and none of us will. We were, we're All three of us are going to question, and we're going to fight, and we're going to advocate, and we're going to be like, no, nah, that doesn't make sense. And most, 99% of people don't do that. That's true. So that's a really problem. That's a big problem. So, I mean, I guess... It's kind of, but like my like my uncle. My uncle was a pediatrician down in Hot Springs, Arkansas. Don Newton. There's a whole wing of the hospital named after him, and down in Hot Springs. And it wasn't because he donated it, because it was just that good a doctor. And he told it. He told me all the time. He said difference between you know what they call a doctor with three A's and a B, a doctor. You know what they call a doctor with three C's, a D, and an F, a doctor. So you really have to treat it just like you would a car mechanic or whatever. You you really do. You have to find somebody that you trust, you understand, and you can communicate with, and they listen. So, Dr. Yes, what if, say, a lot of people or listeners out here, especially us here in Arkansas, don't really have a whole lot of, um, well, in this part of the state, we probably have more options for health care. Yeah, you get down into the Delta. Delta and the rural parts of the U.S., what do, where do they need to go? Do they need to go seek a physical therapist when they're hurting? Do they need to, what do they need to do to help their chronic pain get better if they don't have a whole lot of options living in a big city? Yeah, so, so if we could just continue on this process, hopefully this will help us understand this. Going back to this idea of this person still has this pain in the kneecap, around the kneecap, and you you have to recognize that that person's along with the pain at the kneecap is also going to mention that that pain begins or, or worsens as they try to go up and down stairs, right? Or if I try to kneel down, they have that pain. So what I my answer to everybody is that you don't need a doctor to tell you whether the cause of your pain is muscular or not. All you have to do is recognize whether it's associated with activity. If you're telling me that that pain around that kneecap, first of all, comes every time you go up or down stairs, but then as soon as you sit down, it goes away. I really have no interest in what an MRI is going to tell you. It is clearly muscular based and you have to understand the muscular connection to the kneecap. It turns out that the quadricep muscle, the front thigh muscle, can actually shorten if your hamstring is weak, the back thigh muscle which in it being shortened will pull excessively on your kneecap leading to excess compression when you bend your knees, such as going up and down stairs or kneeling. So if you can recognize it as muscular, then all you'd have to do to make that pain go away is stretch your quad and strengthen your hamstring. End of story. I don't need to enter the medical system to do that. 
Well, I don't need any doctor to tell me that. And sometimes it's also about adjusting your gait. Uh, I mean, adjusting your gait can fix things too. But like I have chronic pain in my hip that happens because of the nerve that's been tweaked in and the doctor the, the doctor told me this is what happens and in, in a lot of men that are a little bit overweight the stomach pulls on the nerve and when you walk it hurts and i lost weight and it went away he was right and so i mean it, it could all it, there's a multitude of reasons you could be hurting but i would suggest like doing what dr mitchell here says you know, try the easy stuff first before you go and get surgery and MRI and spend millions of dollars or thousands of dollars of your insurance. Well, try to try to see if see if you see if it's something simple first. Well, with anything before you have to have any kind of like surgery procedure, you have to meet a standard of care LCD and something else. It's this national thing where you that's we look it up. Did you meet all those criteria? Did you have physical therapy? Did you do this? Did you do this? Yeah, the, the insurance this? company won't pay unless you do. Yeah, that. exactly. So. I would like to think that most people are getting that done and not just instantly jump into surgery. That's not the way it always happens. No, but I mean, like most people go to their PCPs, they don't want to send you to surgery right away. Then most of the time they know surgeons love to cut. Let's just be honest here. Yeah. My, the foot doctor I went to when I broke my foot, first thing he wanted to do is is surgery. And I said, look, 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 man, I I don't want a pen put in. He says, well, I think we need to do it. And I said, no, 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 no. I'm not going to have a pin put in my foot because I know what the cause of the, uh, what's that, what's that spiral, that fracture that I had? Oh, God. Jones fracture. Jones I had a Jones fracture. fracture. The Jones fracture was caused because of my gait and the way I sit. I know exactly what caused the weakness of the bone. And then when I stepped on that carousel at work that we spend products on, it made me roll my foot. When I rolled my foot, it just popped. It, and snapped. it snapped that bone right in half. It didn't really. It didn't break the outer casing. That's the good news. So it was able to heal up fairly well. Because your bone has casings. It has a casing on the outside, and then you got your actual bone. And and some have marrow, some don't, because not all bones have marrow, because they're not. I mean, they needed. Uh, but I I snapped the inside of the bone, and I know exactly why. Once I got out of the shoes I was wearing. And I stopped sitting with my feet on their side and I adjusted my gait to where I wasn't walking on the side of my feet as much. I had to physically do it constantly when I walked. And guess what? My foot doesn't hurt anymore and I don't have to worry about it breaking. But that's what mostly was the shoes that I was wearing had me walking on the side of my feet. Yeah. So what were you saying as far as, I guess let's go back to the the namiscus tear you keep talking about. So, What do you wreck? So if people are hurting, do they need to like find the muscular cause and then from there strengthen the muscles that are causing the issue? But what if you do all that and you still have pain? Well, if to get, you need to get the right diagnosis, which is to understand the tissue in distress. If, if, so, so if you go for physical therapy and it's just arbitrary type of exercise, not purposeful, and you did a bunch of exercises and you still have pain, well, even if it was muscular, you still didn't address the appropriate muscles and address them appropriately. So nothing happens effectively without being able to identify the tissue in distress, Right. That's ultimately what diagnostics is about. The point is, I'll give you let's take a real obvious example. A person uh, drops something on the floor 
They go down, reach down, and their back goes into spasm. Now they're in the hospital. They get an MRI. It says they have a herniated disc. That becomes the primary diagnosis because of the fact that it was found at the time their back went into spasm. So they're told, let's give you an epidural nerve block. Let's give you non-steroidal anti-inflammatories, all this kind of stuff. Then they're going to go for physical therapy, a chiropractor for adjustment. And it's all being based on this diagnosis of a herniated disc. But go back to the mechanism. All they did was bend down to pick up something. Does someone want to apply, imply that bending down a singular time causes herniated disc? What was the cause of the wear of the disc? That's what you're after. No, no, no. The, the, the point is that disc has been there for 30 years. It was there from the beginning. The only reason he found it at this moment was because his back muscle went into spasm. That's the concept. So the treating of the disc has nothing to do with this. That's my point. My point is the identification of structural variations is a fallacy. 70% of the population who have no back pain, no back pain, have herniated discs. Yeah, that's actually that's actually not untrue. It's not, I don't know about the, the, about the number, but there's numerous people that have problems like this. Yeah, like yeah. my knee. I, it didn't hurt unless I get got locked. I get it. You know, there are I mean, studies. There, there are studies out there. Ninety percent of people over the age of sixty who have no back pain have degenerative disc disease. There, there are post-surgical studies. They do a study on knee pain and arthritis. One group gets debridement, literally gets the arthritis wiped out. The other gets lavage, which is shooting fluid in, and the other gets a mock surgery. There is zero difference as to the outcome based on one of those three. Indicating arthritis doesn't cause pain. Okay, so Andrea had some. A, a, Andrea's Andrea's got some some questions that she really she's she would. What was your question again, Andrea? Uh, so, okay, so say you've done all these type of tweaking and tweaking and, and, and strengthening the muscles around every issue, and they still have pain. Are you not? Are you? not an advocate for joint replacement or are you just saying that joint replacements are completely like not necessary as long as you treat the muscles around them no let's go back to my theoretical premise my premise is that you must establish the tissue in distress that's responsible for the symptom to address that tissue appropriately let's go with the hip okay what is the number one symptom the number one symptom that leads to hip replacement it is groin pain it is growing pain by far. It's not even close. 30 years, 15,000 people will tell you, I know it's growing pain. That's what everyone's getting hip replacement for. So an X-ray or MRI is performed and the person is told they're bone on bone at the hip joint. And because of that, that joint is referring symbols to the groin. Let's look and see what the two possible causes are. If in fact you are bone on bone, there means there is no joint space, the bones cannot move properly, and there must be a major loss of range of motion. And at that point where there's no longer range of motion, it should feel like a bone is hitting another bone. That is the physical presentation, the actual symptom of bone on bone. I've been doing this. I've treated thousands of people, too. Two out of thousands actually presented that way. Everybody else presented with full range of motion. So by definition... They couldn't be bone on bone. That's, that's that interesting. If you have bone, if if they think it's bone on bone, but you have full range of motion, you shouldn't. I don't think. What do you? I mean, what do you think, Andrea? They shouldn't be able to have full range of motion. 
I'm not an ortho expert, so I'm only going based upon theory, but I've been told from my personal experience with what I deal with that. And your, your specialty was cardiac. So. Yeah. Yeah. So I just know that a lot of times when it's bone on bone and they have like extreme pain and no range of motion, typically they, they want a replacement based upon how old you are. If you're too young, then they got to do other things, but they don't, they don't want to give you a replacement too soon unless they have to. Yeah. Cause they don't last forever. Um, I had a, a person that I worked with that he was young, but he had different issues and he always was concerned about, you know, he's going to need another one in his life because he was younger than me. Yeah. So, well, I, he told my doctor told me I was going to need a knee replacement at 40. I'm, I'm well past that. And I still don't need a knee replacement. It, so, I mean, it, it pops and cracks and aches every now and again, but it doesn't hurt on general. I think a lot of that depends upon the patient and the lifestyle and how they handle it and what they, what they are looking for and their quality of life take that into consideration. And if they have range of motion and they're, and they're hurting maybe a little bit, then let's do PT. That makes sense. But I think a lot of this is not, it can't be really cookie cuttered because everybody's different, you know, for, you know, my issue is I'm not quite that bad yet. So let's just keep using the cream and let's keep doing what we're doing and, you know, and take rests and all that other stuff. But my issue is going to be different when I'm 65. So, you know, I, it's hard to, it's hard for me to answer that question. Well, calcium deposits too have a problem can can cause issues as well. So, and there's nothing that's that's a lot of times just autoimmune or just your who you are as a DNA. So, well, this person that has like full range of motion with bone on bone, what happened to them? They're, they're not bone on bone. That they're was the point. They couldn't possibly be bone on bone because they, they had full range of motion. motion. Yeah, that's the point. That is the that is the criteria for knowing that a joint is op fun functioning op optimally. So the next point would be: Well, if in fact it was coming, the groin pain was coming from the hip joint. Could we prove that? Yeah. Lay them on their side. Take your hand. Jam the the thigh bone into the hip joint and see if you could drive the symptom into the groin. And the answer is do that thousands of times. You can't. That, again, indicates it's not referred from the joint. That's impossible. So I just proved by the person being having full range of motion and that the pain is not being referred from the joint, the hip joint, that it's not possible that that groin pain could be coming. And I don't care if you give them 10,000 joint replacements. You're not going to fix their groin pain. But if I then go press into the groin area on a muscle called the sartorius muscle and it elicits pain, then by definition, I just proved that that pain was point tender and therefore the tissue in distress is the tissue I pressed on, the sartorius muscle. So the identification of arthritis at the hip joint was a completely independent variable. It had nothing to do with the cause of pain. It has no reason to be addressed. And you have to establish the muscular cause of the sartorius straining, perform the appropriate exercises, and I get that person better a thousand times out of a thousand times. So, so say they did have bone on bone. What would you recommend? A hip replacement, of course. <laughs> well, of yeah. Course. He, his argument is... You know, after thousands of people I've treated, two, yeah. two, two I've seen that actually required it. His argument is is that people are being referred for hip replacements with bone-on-bone bone that he doesn't feel that are actually bone-on-bone. Bone. Correct. I know, but Correct. I'm just saying, you know, I think a lot of it depends upon the patient, too, you know? 
Well, that's what he's, I mean, that's their, their advocacy. It may not be bon on bon, but if they're like, you know, if, if I could get my situation fixed now, I'd do it, but I'm not there yet. But, 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 but what if it's the groin pain is from the sartorius and someone's saying, okay, well, just get it now or whenever they get that hip replacement. It's, it's not going to fix the pain from the sartorius. That's not going to correct it. You need to get the treatment for the right cause. And that's not what's being happened because let me ask you this. Let's go back to the back pain problem. The person's lower back muscle went into spasm. Would that show up on an MRI? That that's a good question. Would the MRI, would the MRI identify the muscle and spasm that led them into the hospital? Well, I guess, I mean, it depends upon the age. No, no, a muscle. Can a muscle and spasm, a shortened muscle, a strained muscle, can that ever show up on an MRI? No. No. That's correct. Yeah. So is there anyone on the planet? Even worse than a CT scan. You're not going to find that in anything. Any of that. You're not going to find that in any diagnostic test. So of the 1 billion people suffering with chronic pain, does anybody have a muscular cause that possibly could have been misdiagnosed because that muscular cause never showed up on the MRI? Is that a possibility? Well, and, and some doctors do perform some of these things that you're doing because the guy that was, that was working on my hip, um, he he pressed and pushed and yeah. and manipulated, and he's like, no, I know what it is. It's your nerve. Because I've never encountered- because he couldn't cause me to he couldn't cause me to go into pain just sitting there in the doctor's office. Yeah, and I told him it's only after I walk a bunch, and he's like, well, you got this nerve that it's pulling on, and he and if you it's coming off of the weight on my gut because my belly, I have a bigger belly, is pulling on that nerve. And I went and looked it up. I made sure that what he was telling me was actually a thing because I was like, I never heard of this. And I went and looked, you know, you know me, I, I get in there and I, I pulled up the, the anatomy chart and everything and figured out which nerve it was. And I did my research and, and I said, well, okay, I'm going to lose some weight. And I lost some weight and the pain went away because it wasn't pulling on that nerve anymore. I guess it's hard for me because I've never encountered a physician ever in my career as a patient or as a nurse that's instantly like not address the muscular part, not send physical therapy, not be conservative. I've I've never, never not encountered that. So it's kind of hard for me to think, well, what's the rest of the world doing? Are they sending everybody straight to the knife? I mean, the, <laughs> I mean you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so you're saying that the average person upon entering a doctor's office, an orthopedist's office. And, and the ones has, that she's experienced. Yeah, I understand. I just want to make sure I understand. So they come in, they have groin pain, and the guy takes an hour with them to evaluate their symptoms? Or does he say, here's a prescription for an MRI. Let me know when we get the results back. We'll meet and we'll discuss your situation. Most they do of, thorough evaluations. They send them straight to PT in my encounter experience. Yeah, that's true. They send her straight Correct. to PT a bunch go. of times. Yeah. Okay, yeah. great. So let's talk about PT. What is the basis by which the PT is diagnosed is treating? What is the basis? It's what coming is off the, the doctor's notes. Yeah, that is correct. And what well, does that diagnosis derive from? Not in my experience. Really? I, not in my experience. They didn't even look at the doctor's notes. They talked to me first. Then he looked okay. at the doctor's notes. Well, in in, okay. in in Northwest Arkansas, we're and this is true. In Northwest Arkansas, we have a different standard of care here and on an interpersonal level because people here tend to not put up with bullshit. Mm-hmm. And and but in Denver, I found when I lived in Denver, especially when I lived in LA, people just do whatever they're told. And, right. But that's not the culture of Northwest Arkansas or Texas, for example. Yeah, Texas was that way too. Yeah, yeah that's not the culture that we're living in in these in in these particular areas. And and um, 
so it could very well be regional uh, in the way that we talk to our patients, because I do know that when a doctor comes in, because when I talk to the doctor I have now, um, he's from the North. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when he came in, it was interesting because he was like, wow, this is, you know, I've never had patients actually ask me questions and, 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 and make me explain myself before. Cause he was still new when I first got him about yeah. two and a half, three years ago, four years ago. No, it's five years ago. And, um, so I, it may be, it's a cultural difference between just the people in general. Maybe. I mean, it, cause the East coast is much different place than here. That is true. That is true. I guess for me, it's like be an advocate for your own healthcare. But I am, when I've been in the, in the emergency room, especially then in Little Rock and, and then out in, um, Gravit, Neither one of those doctors would listen to a word I had to say. They're assholes to me. And the physical or the, the respiratory therapist and the other doctors were had to get up their ass. And I had to wait in that emergency room for uh, almost 20 hours to let that doctor get off shift. And the other doctor came in. The respiratory therapist sat with me. He didn't have to sat with me while I was couldn't breathe advocated for me to the new doctor that's coming on in the ER. Mm-hmm. The new doctor said, well, fuck it. We'll just give you a, a shot. And and I was out in 15 minutes. Huh. I waited almost 20 hours because the doctor wouldn't listen to me. So, I mean, it's, it, I've had some terrible experiences in the ER and with other doctors. But if the doctor doesn't listen, that's why I fired my last doctor because he wouldn't listen to me. I told him this and this and this. He says, no, Paul, you're 45. This is what you're going to do. This is how we're going to do it. I said, yes, but that's not, I don't think that really applies to me. Can we talk about this? And he goes, nope, that's what the literature says to do. That's what you're going to do. And I said, yeah, but I don't have fucking eczema. I have an allergic asthma that I've had all my life since I was 10. And he wouldn't listen to me. So I fired him and went to another doctor. So my experience of having the, the, the PT actually look at, talk to me before the notes, that's unusual, you're saying? Or so I've, treated people, I've treated people from multiple states, 20 countries. The general preposition is that the typical standard of care is that if you have pain, you get a diagnostic test, whatever the outcome, whatever the resultant is, that becomes the basis of diagnosis. Everything is done with the intent of trying to be conservative. That's the catch-all nonsense so that you can be coerced into saying that, well, if nothing else worse, you're willing to take a surgery. That is the basis. 99% of all surgeries are done because it was a last resort. I, I'm. This is supposed to be science. This is supposed to be medicine. Nothing should be done as a last resort. You should be able to identify the tissue in distress and resolve the distress of that tissue at its inception. Its inception. Why do you think chronic pain exists? What is chronic pain? What is chronic pain? Chronic pain is acute pain lasting more than three to six months. Well, why is it lasting? The reason is because of misdiagnosis. Well, the tissue I'm distress not necessarily not disagreeing with him, with him on that one. I think it's probably true, too. <laughs> but isn't there some chronic pain that really is something completely different that you that no amount of physical therapy can fix? Of, 
Well, first, let, let's keep, let's keep making this clear. I'm not a physical therapist. I'm not endorsing physical therapy. I'm the antichrist of physical therapy. <laughs> I have my own method. I've written three books. I've done a PBS special. I've treated 15,000 people in 20 countries regarding yeah, this. The, and I'm, you know what? I, that's my bad on that. We should have already covered that. You have your own special method. And, 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 and let's get into that for a minute, and we'll come back to this question. Okay. What so, is your method? Yeah. Yeah. Tell us, tell us what you, tell us what makes you, what makes you different and what you've discovered that's, 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 that needs to be told. Sure. So uh, let's take a classic example. How many people have sciatica in the United States? 50 million. Yeah. My mother says she has it. Right. And so first of all, how many people have actually been properly diagnosed? The answer is half, maybe. Because there's a very specific symptom, yeah. which is pain from the butt down the back of the leg. I have treated innumerable people okay. who have pain at the front of the thigh, the side of the thigh, and they're all told it's sciatica. Well, let's be specific. Sciatica is pain from the butt down the bottom of the leg and the, at the back. Now, what makes me different is that there is a general medical acceptance that sciatica is a result of some sort of herniation or pinched nerve or stenosis at the lumbar spine. That is basically across the board. Okay. So basically what happened was they had sciatic symptom, got an MRI, found the herniated disc at L4, L5 or L5, S1. Boom. That's the cause. Well, you have to understand that there is no such thing as a nerve that attaches to the spine. That is a fallacy. It's no nerve. It's in the spine, but not attached to the spine. Nerve roots individual nerve roots come out of the spine and somewhere away from the spine join together to form nerves. There is no nerve that attaches to the spine. Nerve roots come out of the spine. So sciatica is irritation of the sciatic nerve. And you have to know that the sciatic nerve begins in the gluteal region and ends at the back of the knee. So if you are to say you've irritated the nerve, it is to say you irritated it somewhere along its path. I the would primary- think that sounds right to me. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm just checking with Andrea. It sounds right to me. That sounds right, yeah. yeah. Right. So the primary place where you can irritate it is in the gluteal region by a muscle called the piriformis muscle. The piriformis muscle runs diagonally from the sacral spine, which is below the lumbar spine, runs diagonally to the hip joint. In 30% of the population, the sciatic nerve actually runs through that, that muscle. So if it was to strain, it can impinge upon the nerve, eliciting a symptom. Okay? So you then have to say, well, what would be an indic- what, what would cause the piriformis to strain? Well, it turns out it sits next to another muscle that sits on the side of the pelvis called the gluteus medius muscle, it's responsible for your balance. Every time you're walking, doing stairs, you're standing on one leg, your pelvis must be maintained parallel or you'd fall. You would lose your balance. That is what that muscle does. So if it strains, you can't be balanced and support yourself. If it weakens, it can strain Causing the piriformis to try to compensate, yeah. which then leads to it impinging on the nerve. Yeah, and if, that's why it, that's why gait helps a lot too. If you- Correct, gait is the resultant of the pulls of muscles. So you just hit on a point. So what makes the YAS method the YAS method? Well, it's not enough to say you have sciatica. We have to understand its cause, 
And so if the gluteus medius was the cause due to the straining of the performance, well, the gluteus medius would also alter posture because it's responsible for keeping your pelvis level. Okay. So the YAS method would evaluate your posture and see if there's a deviation. You just said it yourself. Gait is a resultant of muscular contraction. So if a muscle has strained and is responsible for a symptom, I should see an altered gait pattern. So I look at your gait. Then I look at muscle testing, flexibility testing. Well, this, and I'll literally push on your piriformis muscle and see if I can cause the sciatic symptom to shoot. Right? So there are, other than the pain itself, confirmatory symptoms that allow me to confirm that the cause of that symptom, sciatica, is a strained piriformis muscle causing, a strained gluteus medius causing the piriformis to compensate, ultimately impinging on the sciatic nerve. Yeah, so that's how this yeah. method works. Well, yeah, and it's just, it's it's kind of the same in my head. Don't have sciatica, but I, my my hip pain is literally in my hip and on the right side of my uh, leg for just a little bit, and then if it gets really bad, it goes down into the. But I can tell it's not a muscle issue. So um, no, but but it could be a neurological issue caused by a muscle impinging on a nerve. Well, it's, I think that's what that's that that what's happening. And he, you know, like I said, I lost weight and it could be the fat has gone away or my gait has changed because I no longer have to compensate for 10, 15, 20 pounds on the front lower half of my torso. Either way, it's when I lose weight, I no longer have that hip pain. It's mm-hmm. true. So it's it's causing the it, for every every time you move, correct me if I'm wrong, every time you move. There's a certain set of muscles that cause that movement. If one of those muscles fails, the other muscles pick up that difference and keep the movement going. But it's going to change your range of motion just slightly, if not, if not uh, uh, largely, because the other muscles, they don't pull on the same area. So to get that to go that way, I mean, it's like if you're punching. Yeah. If you're not able to use... The muscles correctly then your punch is going to just going to make you cock your arm or just going to make your hand you, you have to instead of keeping your hand level and pushing out it your hand may cock a little bit and that means that you've got something going on with your your arm muscles this is what they taught me in boxing they look for these kind of things because if you can't punch right you can't you know, you're not going to win any fights because you can't. You're not getting any force on that snap at the end of the punch. So, as a lay person, are you basically kind of saying for people to avoid chronic pain and maybe like long term issues down the road, it would probably behoove them to keep strength training and working out and keep your muscles strong to avoid this for when you turn. I don't know, forty five, sixty, seventy five, whatever. Yes, a hundred percent. So, my point is that. Uh, in more than 98% of cases, the cause of much of chronic pain is a muscular deficit, weakness or imbalance that is leading to an inability, as Paul just said, to perform your activities appropriately, which ultimately causes as a result of compensation, muscles having to do more than they should. That's why they strain, elicit pain. They could cause pain. They could cause pain in joints. They could refer symptoms or they can cause um, nerves to refer symptoms by impinging on them. Well, so that is... Go ahead. Oh, so that's the basis of most chronic pain. My answer is, 
Well, why wait until you have the pain? I don't I don't I don't understand that. <laughs> Clearly, there is a cultural issue that has arisen. So chronic pain began in the mid to late 1980s. It never existed in the history of mankind prior to that. He's talking about I, in I the know. drug seeking and things like yeah, that. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, that came after the fact. That yeah, yeah, yeah. What was what was the result? Of, what was it caused by the advancement of automation? Um, uh computers phones the whole idea of things being done less manually yeah we're we're not hunting for our food anymore correct. we're sitting at a desk that's going i'm half asleep bingo bingo <laughs> chronic pain is a cultural issue chronic pain is a cultural uh, t- issue not a medical issue you just hit it well and and you get you have to a lot of people don't understand their gait and things like that so and I just always knew because of my knee when I was younger going out on me, I had to make sure that I didn't lock it. So I had to pay attention to my gate. That and I really thought the people that walk with their feet out, pointed left and right instead of straight ahead. I really thought they looked like ducks. And I didn't want to look. I didn't want people to think I was walking like that. So I made sure I pointed my toes forward. So what do you suggest for people that have, say, osteoarthritis of their hands? So here's a great one. Here's a great thing I've always talked to people about, and I have them do this. So first off, they have pain at their joints. The first question is, is osteoarthritis the only reason you could have pain at the joints of the hands? The answer is no. You have your finger extensors and flexors that open and close your hand, and that runs all the way to the elbow. And there is a tendency to overuse the flexor group. And so what could happen is they could shorten and uh, that could limit the length. I'm sorry, uh, the extensor group. And so what happens is you could limit the length that those tendons can run across your joints. So if you close your hand and that tendon, that extensor tendon on the top of your hand shortens, it will compress those joints leading to pain. So I do this very simple test with people. I say, extend your elbow. Turn your wrist down, close your fingers, take your other hand and stretch your wrist extensors. Uh, then let's, let's, let's explain that a little bit more. I, I, yeah. I, I had a hard time following. I had to turn the video on to see what you're doing. Yeah. So have your hand arm in front of you at shoulder height. Okay. Straighten your elbow, turn your wrist down and close your fingers. Take your other hand on the back of your other hand. And now just keep bending your wrist down to stretch the top of the wrist and the forearm. Okay. You'll, see what you, you'll feel a stretch in the extensor yeah. group of the forearm. Mm-hmm. Now, do that for 20 or 30 seconds. Stop, then open and close your hand and see if your pain goes away. And a substantial amount of people will see their pain go, goes away. Why don't you try it? See what happens. Uh, try it. I have done that. And that was part of my physical therapy exercises, but I still have the pain. Okay. So it doesn't go away. Well, well, that's just a test. Yeah. So what that's representing is that you've strained your wrist extensors. So he's trying to he's here. trying to see if 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 doing that causes pain. If it yeah, does, yeah. there's a different issue. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I get that. Right. So if well, it, let's make if sure the listeners did, understand. So if that did in fact reduce the pain, then the cause of the pain wasn't the osteoarthritis; it was a tight wrist extensor due to overuse. It's 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 not strong enough to do your activity, which is why it's straining. So you now need to do strength, progressive resistance strengthening the specific exercise needed to strengthen this plus shoulder and shoulder blade musculature 
because those are the muscles that support your arm and the objects you're grabbing. Mm-hmm. So it has to, if there is a muscular deficit, the only way to resolve that deficit is to use progressive resistance, more resistance, and isolate the muscles until their force outputs are greater than the force requirements of your activities. That's what leads them to be able to do your activity without having symptom. Okay, so so let's say that test shows that that's not the problem. What do we do next? So let's say that it let's what would be the physical presentation that osteoarthritis was the cause of your pain. Okay. Well, first off, osteoarthritis, you would have to see a fairly substantial development of bone spur development at the joint. Which I have. Yeah. Okay. It's very you can see it. It didn't take a doctor. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to at that joint, it's comprised of two bones approximating one another, and I'm going to try and glide them. If it's arthritis that's causing the pain there, that is to say that you must be in effect bone on bone. I should not be able to get any gliding. I should not be able to take the two joint surfaces and move them at all. That would indicate that the arthritis exists and, in fact, is responsible for your symptom. Okay. Okay. That's good to know. And, you know, these are self-diagnosis things that you could do if, you know, if you're trying to decide if the doctor's lying to you, if you don't trust your doctor, things like that. You know, these are just little things that you can do. And the reason it would slide is because there's cartilage and there's 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 fluid. Yeah. And in between there. And if you don't have anything left in between there, then there's it's not going to it's not going to work out for you because the bones, Mm -hmm. the bones are hard. They're not pliable. All he said was, is when he showed me my, the pictures and stuff, it's, that I have fairly decent joint space for my age, but I need to make sure I take care of my hands now or I'm going to have none. I should have more for my age than what I do, but in his opinion, it was decent considering what I'm going through. Yeah. Which which is, that's great. But now, so, so what's your response? What does your response have to be? You need to strengthen your shoulder muscles, your shoulder blade muscles, and the muscles of the arm to make sure that the muscles that are passing those joints are strong and balanced, both to allow for optimal function, but also maintain the proper congruency of those joint surfaces so they work appropriately and diminish the chance of progression of the arthritic change. That's how you stop the arthritic change. Or at least retard Retarded, retarded or stop it either way yeah that's what you want not everybody i mean it's, it's it is a thing that they st- i don't know have they figured out what causes this the art the osteoarthritis do they know is there an actual definitive reason in science of why this happens or is it one of those or is this one of those things and uh human healthcare has a lot of these where they don't really know and they're just kind of guessing i know that i see it run in families I've yeah seen. but do they know why it happens that's my the question grandmother had it really bad i have it my mother probably does if your cv joint goes out we know what the cause is it's probably a bad part you probably hit a big bump blah 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 blah, blah and then your car so you know we know that there's an actual cause yeah uh or it was a bad part that was made poorly um you know, that's what I'm getting at. It's why does osteoarthritis even exist? Do we know what the underlying cause is? I don't think, other than, I don't really think they do know. I mean, I don't know. There, there, there's a general principle that it's yeah. 
degenerative wear and tear. Exactly, yeah. That it's different oh, from psoriatic arthritis or rheumatoid arthritis, which is autoimmune. It is wear and tear. But the point of the wear and tear is lack of strength and balance, allowing for optimal congruency, which is the key to preventing the cycle from occurring. And I, I, I just want to throw this in there, my throw my hat in there on this. I believe that you could have a muscle in your shoulder that's screwing things up, and the symptom is your wrist or your hand. Yes. Because it's got to compensate for that muscle in your shoulder screwing up. You've just described my primary principle for the cause of uh, car- uh, carpal tunnel syndrome, trigger finger, um, golfer's elbow, tennis elbow, every one of those. My, you, yeah. I've done writing on this. Any symptom from the elbow down is coming from weakness of the shoulder and shoulder blade musculature because the muscles of could the be, hand could be coming from there because there's always that one outlier. Uh, I just want to make sure that we, we all understand that it could there's a really good chance it is but every right. now and again you're going to run across something that's like oh shit what's happened here yeah you know? it always it always has to be confirmed through presentation of symptoms so the person would have to be evaluated see that they have the weaknesses and all that stuff but i could tell you that through the treatment of thousands of people where i've developed these theoretical bases is that the hand is designed to grab and manipulate objects it is not designed to support the object the weight of the object and the weight of the arm is designed to be supported by the shoulder and shoulder blade musculature. If they're weak, the person will end up squeezing harder, which causes the flexor muscles Absolutely to overwork. Mm-hmm. And that's where you start running into these issues of golfer's elbow, tennis elbow, trigger finger, carpal tunnel syndrome. Yeah, when they, when you're when you're hitting the golf ball, uh, you're supposed to relax the arms and let the let the the, the inertia pull your arm. Otherwise, you'll end up with bursitis or something worse. You got it. Tennis, same thing. Tennis elbow. They're using their arm when they should be using a fuller range of motion. Yeah, makes sense. And and strong shoulders is the key to doing just about anything. It's like you run into me and my shoulders are freaking strong. You can't not barely. It's hard to knock me over. There's a dude at work that's like a super bodybuilder trying to do all his stuff and he looks like a he's like six six four i'm five ten and he looks like a a, a, a linebacker from even in when he's clo- closing in on 40 and he decided that he was going to go toe-to-toe with me mm-hmm. and he said oh this is fat guy he doesn't know what he's talking about <laughs> blah 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 he went toe-to-toe with me and fucked up his back really yeah and i told him i said are you sure you want to do this he said, let's do it all right so we just basically shoulder blocked each other and it hurt because he's a big dude. He looks like a linebacker for the, playing for the Eagles or something like that. And but uh, you know, I, he, he he never has to do it again. So yeah, proved a point there. <laughs> I'm not. I you know. I'm just, yeah, I'm a bigger dude than everybody thinks because I'm in proportion. So. Don't go shoulder to shoulder with me. I'm not. I'm not <laughs> the shit out of you. That's a disclaimer. Yeah, unless you just want to. You know, pay me a hundred bucks. You're right. Sure, hundred dollars beforehand. I got to get paid first. I'll sell tickets. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, Doctor Mitchell can do the PT on you when. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah, really. sighs> 
but it, yeah, it's the shoulders. I, I, I've always known this as being, I was a, tried to be a bodybuilder when I was younger. And that's probably where a lot of my mass comes from is because I got these huge muscles that I didn't naturally, didn't use testosterone, nothing like that. And so my bones had to compensate too. Yeah. Because I'm lifting, I'm, I'm squatting 500, 400, 500 pounds. I'm doing curls of one, 115, 120 with each arm. And so my, my skeleton had to compensate for that too. And since I was only 18, yeah, you know, and it's, it's doing that. And I, I think, what do you think, doctor? Is, do you think that's true? That's that you can, you can, as a young person, you can exacerbate the growth of a bone by doing heavy lifting. I, I think that's irrefutable. There's no question. Bones, uh, muscles attached to bones. And as the force, um, uh, the amount of force developed by the muscle increases, it's going to increase stress to the bone. The, it doesn't actually attach to the bone. It yeah. actually attaches to connective tissue that surrounds it called periosteum. Periosteum is connective tissue, so it has a high density of receptors in there. So it can tell how much stress is being applied. That will send a signal to the brain to cause the parathyroid to send more calcium to the bone. So there's no question that you could increase the density of bone by increasing strength of muscle. I, that is, I think, pretty much irrefutable. Cool. So definitely doing if you're getting older and you're worried and you don't want to be that little old lady that's hunched over and and, and tiny. Like my sister-in-law, she's getting shorter. She's lost four inches. She's four inches shorter. Really? Yeah. She's. She looks. I told you she's, she looks like a garden gnome. Oh my gosh! Stop. What's that? Be- <laughs> oh my god! Stop. She may be listening. <laughs> well, funny. she kind of looks like a garden gnome. Put a little pointy hat on her and a white beard and a blue suit. It's the first time I met her, so I didn't really like necessarily know her height prior. So four inches, man. That's she's at least four inches shorter. But she doesn't do anything. She just sits around and complains and worries. That's all. She, that's her. That's her main job. That's a tough job. <laughs> she doesn't go out and do anything. That's a tough job. So, as a preventative measure, say you're younger, you don't have any problems, but you don't want to have these problems later. What is your suggestion that people do to 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 stave these off for as long as possible? So, in terms of the lower body. People have to recognize that the muscles of the front of the leg and the pelvis, the hip flexor and quad, are going to be involved in function much greater because everything you do is in front of you. You walk in front of you. You go up and down stairs in front of you. You sit down and stand up in front of you. So there is a natural development of imbalance that can occur between the hip flexors and quads and the hamstring and butt muscle, gluteus maximus. So my I prefer butt pre- muscle. The butt muscle is a <laughs> so My general preposition is for anybody in life is to, as a minimum, do hamstring curl and hip extension to sustain the strength of the glute max and the hamstring so that they're maintaining balance between those two group muscle groups. And that's what prevents shortening of the hip flexors and quads, both attaching to the pelvis and the knee which could lead to lower back pain or knee pain or ankle, a variety of pains. So you want to sustain balance. The other one is the gluteus medius, that muscle I talked about on the side of the pelvis. That is responsible for your ability to be balanced and stable at all times. That is a universal muscle that should be strengthened. Those are the three primary universal mu- exercises. I think that should be done 
by anybody at any time in their life. Keep doing it. Yeah, absolutely. Sustain your strength and sustain your balance. So uh, I was reading an article. I'm trying to find it again about uh, they've discovered uh, the little bounce in your gait. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to figure out what it because I can't get it straight in my head. But they discovered that that causes the muscles to be able to walk further and to to keep going. I, I'm trying to look it up. But I cannot remember what it's called. Did either one of you see that the other day? No. Hmm. Human walking gait uh, uh, bounce. Because it new re oh here it is double bounce with a they walk with a double bounce, NPR published this the other day, uh, January eighth twenty twenty three. It's it's interesting and so this and they've they've discovered a new, which we all already know, but they didn't know they couldn't explain it in like a white paper form. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's an interesting interesting addition to our literature of because it's they just. They just confirmed it, which is weird. Why wouldn't we confirm? We've been walking before we figured out how to be doctors. So why didn't we already know this? That's the question I have. Well, it may not be <laughs> a thing that people actually observed that it was a thing until maybe there's something broke or somebody was curious. Yeah. And uh, see, he says the function, it's Renjowski, Renjowski. I can't pronounce this man's name. Um so the thing to think about is our leg is a spring. And so initially when we hit the ground with our foot, the spring compresses. And so the force increases quite a bit and we have the first force hump. And then we have a rebound. So the spring relaxes again and our whole body moves up and we fall back into the spring. I'm not sure this makes any sense to me. How about you? I'd have to read the whole article. Yeah. Well, this is just what the guy said on the radio program. Oh, okay. Uh, And this gives a second force hump, and we reached a peak of this hump just before the next touchdown occurs on the foot. Uh, And so this double hump force pattern is well known for decades now, but we didn't really know why it developed in this way. That's interesting. So I just thought I'd it's it's i'm always reading these interesting little things i'm not quite sure what that means do you do you, do you have any insight into that so uh, what he's really referring to i don't know about the bounce premise but what you want to understand going back to that gluteus medius muscle is that it attaches from the side of the pelvis to the hip joint okay so if it has tone strength if you take your foot off the ground to place it in front of you that muscle can literally create an upward force on your hip joint. And so as you go to put that foot down, that hip can slowly decelerate down and you absorb the force of putting your foot down by that strong muscle decelerating decelerating your leg down. That is kind of what he's referring to as the bounce. It's the, you took your foot, you're putting it down, and now you're decelerating your body weight onto that leg by that muscle allowing that hip joint to come down. But let's say it's weak. Let's say your glute needs weak. You don't have anything keeping your hip joint up as you're putting that foot in front of you. So it's just hanging down. So when you go to put that foot down, 
it's going to come down with tremendously more force because it's not being decelerated down to the ground by that muscle. That excess trauma, you're not going to get that bounce. You're going to actually just have a drop. That is an excess force that has to be picked up by something. And as a result, that could lead to bone having to pick it up, muscle having to pick it up, something going on. And that's why the gluteus medius being so strong is so important for walking. It literally, when that foot is picked up and put in front of you, it literally decelerates your body down and, and allows the leg to be decelerated down. So there's less force as you take that next step. Yeah. And if you don't do it right, then it's going to screw everything up. That's what you're saying. Correct. And the other point to be made about this is that so in the ninth, up to the 1980s, everybody was very active. They were doing things. They, they moved forward and back and side to side. And so all your muscles generally were sustained in balance because you were doing a lot of movement and moving in lots of directions. Now everybody sits. So if you look at the muscles on the outside of the pelvis, your abductor muscles, they're much smaller than the group of muscles on the inside of your thigh called your adductors. Well, if you don't sustain the strength of that abductor muscle, the adductor, the inner muscles are going to be stronger and they're going to shorten. So when you go to put that foot in front of you, instead of being maintained hip width apart, they're actually going to move closer and closer to the midline and you're going to start looking like you're a runway model which is what most people end up walking like. And as a result, you don't have your skeleton, your leg directly below you, and it can't absorb the force of gravity. You're not having your bones absorb the force of gravity. You're having your muscles absorb the force of gravity. That is a load they weren't designed to take. And that's another reason why people are straining more excessively they're not maintaining their hip with hip with the part because see they're not recognizing that the glute meats have to be strengthened to sustain that. Makes sense. Any more questions? No, Andrew? no. So uh, give us your website and how to get a hold of you. And, and you also have a book that you're selling that's available uh, mass market. Yeah. So um, I, I've written three books and um Everything I do, so I believe I'm much more of an educator than I am a practitioner. I I need people to understand I've been given this gift of understanding that I've developed, and my responsibility is to create awareness of it so that people do have the opportunity to be out of pain. If you are capable of using one of my books, which are applicable-based, then certainly you can use that. If not, you could also seek me for treatment, whether in person in Jacksonville, Florida, or through Zoom session. Uh, my website is live without pains, plural, livewithoutpains.com. My email address is Dr. Mitch at MitchellYas.com. I always respond to every now, email that's We ever need to sent spell to your last name because it's a little different. Sure. Y A S S. It's yeah, it's I hate to say it, but it's S with a Y in front of me. <laughs> I, I've had that since I'm a kid. Well, we had I was listening to looking at sound effects and there's a sound effect that's 
it says yes. Yeah. But he goes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's very bizarre to go to a store and see your last name on T-shirts now. <laughs> very strange. Very strange. That's true. I didn't think about that. But yeah. it, it's kind of weird. But yeah, so um, yeah, livewithoutpens.com, drmitchellyas.com. I have a YouTube channel, Dr. Mitchell Yas. Almost 300 videos people could reference. Um, it, uh, the books are Overpower Pain, the the Pain Cure RX, and the Yas Method for Pain Free Movement. Um, and and it's really just all about creating awareness and allowing people to have an alternative way of thinking about pain and what's causing it and how to resolve it. And this, none of this is a diagnosis of your individual. If you're listening, none of this is a diagnosis of your individual situation. If you find anything of value in what we're doing here and what we're talking about, that's great, but you should always follow up and make sure it's the correct thing to do with your own primary care physician. That's correct. Otherwise, you could hurt if, if you're doing something and you think, oh, I know what he's talking about and you misunderstood or it wasn't quite you, the way you understood. It wasn't quite exactly the way he put it. You could hurt yourself and you don't want to hurt yourself. So always follow up with someone who can who can who is licensed and knows what they're doing. I would agree. Most definitely. Because you never know. I mean, there's people out there that take. That, that take drug commercials wrong and it's like no that's not the way this works <laughs> always you know? follow up any treatment or any type anything you want to do with your primary care physician most definitely the last thing that any any of us here on this program today want to do is to tell you something that's going to hurt you that's correct we want the opposite for you so you need to make sure you're supervised, especially if you only have a cursory understanding. Like for me, I go do my research, but I also take very seriously what the doctor tells me. As you should. Yeah. And be an advocate for yourself. Always stand up for yourself and look at your damn bill when see how much your insurance company is paying for that doctor visit. Because you'll find that you would never pay $200 to go have somebody give you a prescription for antibiotics that you knew you needed and you only went there because that's how you get them. Yeah. You would That's insane. You would never pay 200 bucks for an office visit to get antibiotics just because you got a sniffle. I would never pay it. I'd tell them to piss off, but I have to because that's the way it works, unfortunately. Yes, unfortunately. So, uh, so Dr. Yas, uh, any... Uh, last words? Any any last words before we? No. <laughs> You're so goofy. <laughs> anything you want to leave us with? Any good points or anything? So I think the the point I always try to make at the end is I've treated hundreds of people who were suicidal, who were ready to give up, and um, felt that they just couldn't live another day in their situation. My point to everybody is there is an always an answer to every question and just because you've gone possibly all the different standard ways of looking at things and you haven't gotten the answer it's not to say that the answer doesn't exist out there for god's sakes never ever give up it's not worth it i promise you there is an answer to your problem and you just have to constantly keep looking it's there you will find it it's just a question of time and just try to embrace the journey less than the end result the the the, the destination 
it's tough. I, I understand it. I've, I've been dealing with this for 30 years, but suicide's just not the answer. It's, I just, Correct. I don't know how to explain it any clearer. Well, and please believe you yeah. can find your answer. Absolutely. And, and that's, it's in correlation with, with Andrea saying, because he, he's also saying the sun's going to come up tomorrow. Yes. For, for a third iteration of this, the sun's going to come up tomorrow. You're going to have happy times again, eventually. And advocate means stand up for your damn self and don't just take somebody not listening as, I guess I better do it. and I, I'm no good. I'm not a good person. I don't know what I'm talking about. And they do. Advocate means, I don't think this is true. I'm not sure that what you're telling me is exactly applicable to my situation. Can we revisit this a touch? That is advocating for yourself. Yes. And it's how you, it, and when you think the end is near, you want to kill yourself. Same questions apply. Maybe this isn't the right answer. You know, I mean, if you've got end stage pancreatic cancer, I don't know what to tell you about that. But if you're going to kill yourself over some chronic pain and that chronic pain is coming out of a joint or something, it's not coming out of like a pituitary gland that's killing you. Because that's a different, it's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about joint pain, we're talking about body pain, muscle pain. We don't, we're, not, we're not talking about your stomach's rotting out. <laughs> that's not what, that's not the subject of today's. The, the, you'll, the sun will come out tomorrow, man. Don't, this, it's, it's not worth it. You'll have, you'll have happy times again. Buzz Aldrin's 93 and he's married to a 60 year old hottie. <laughs> 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 so, it, it, it You'll be all right. Just think about that for a minute. <laughs> so, Andrea, is what we have? What do we have coming up in the future? Do you know? Uh, February fourth, we have a gentleman that we're going to talk about psychedelic mushrooms. This is when we actually interview them. So, it's but usually two to three weeks after we interview them that it comes out. That's true. Yes. Yeah. Um. That's right. So we have some guy, a Jedi guy. We're gonna have to no. Have- we have a whole group of Jedi. Oh, that's right, two. No, like maybe even three. Really, three? Oh, I'm thinking there's just two people, three or four. That'd be kind of cool. Yeah, they believe that the Jedi religion is a religion and it's a way of life, and they, they, the whole thing behind that. I still have questions, so I want to ask some more on that. So, uh, in industrial espionage, industrial espionage. That's the old samurai. Yeah, 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 yeah. They uh, did that too. Not only did they chop your head off, they also industrial espionage. Jeez, <laughs> that sounds scary. A uh, brain coach, the Firstein method. I'm probably butchering that. So we'll yeah, we're going to figure that out because I don't have any idea. We're, a lot of these times, a lot of times, we don't go into this, especially psychological stuff. We don't generally do any pre research. We just ask them, "What the hell are you talking about, boy?" Yeah, teach me. <laughs> In a Chinese jail. Oh yeah, that guy went to. He was in a Chinese prison. Yes, yeah, I'm kind of yeah, curious yeah, yeah, yeah. how that. I'm sure there is not way more. You know, I'm sure it's worse than our jails. You know, I'm oh, sure they well. probably behead them, cut their fingers I don't off. Know, I don't have know. You, haven't you seen Batman? Yeah, the, the first Christian Bale. He was in a Chinese prison. It's 
been a while since I've I'm seen that. Not sure that's the representation of a Chinese prison, but it was it's the only Chinese prison I've ever seen. I don't know. Maybe it's, they're not on the next Netflix episodes of the world's worst prisons. Maybe we should do a little research. <laughs> that would be Pine Bluff, I think. Oh my God! <laughs> <laughs> Pine Bluff, Arkansas. Yeah, it's yeah. welcome to Arkansas, guys. Yeah. So now, go to PaulGNewton.com. And we used to have a nutcracker fund that you could send money to. It's past Christmas. Yeah, so you don't have to go to the nutcrackers. But I'm at a deficit for my vodka fund. So I'm 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 thinking that maybe you know some of you might have pity on me and go and donate to the vodka fund. If not, I'm gonna have to do it. So guys, help me out. (laughs) But you can also we got merch up there, and uh, I want to let you know that you can buy any of my photographs. I will print them off, frame them, send them to you, and. And it's great. He's got a beautiful sunset one that's my favorite. I'm not sure if it's on the website. If not, I'm going to get him to put it on there. It's very, very pretty. All right. So that's it. All right. Sounds good. Bye. Bye. Andrea and I need your help. If you like our episodes, please give us a five-star rating and a review. Not sure exactly how that helps us, but it does, and it makes people want to listen. When they see that five stars and a good review from you, so go to wherever you're listening to your podcast, Apple iTunes, Spotify, iHeartMedia, wherever, and hit that five stars. 